You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Thanks again for being here with us. Um, I did just want to let you know as we're getting started that uh, in just a minute, we're going to be taking communion together. Uh, so if you haven't had an opportunity to do that, uh, go ahead and grab um, whatever are those communion elements for you this morning. Uh, it can be uh, anything uh, to eat and drink together and we'll uh, share in that, uh, even though we're doing it all separately as uh, one body here. Um, with all of our different elements. Um, yeah, so like I said, uh, so glad that you're here. Um, this morning, I'm going to be sharing uh, some liturgy uh, that's written by uh, Amy Congdon, and she is a, uh, a therapist herself, and she is part of the queer community. And so this is specifically a um, set of queer liturgies. Um, and I think they're a really beautiful kind of connection to who we are here at Central um, and what we value in the diversity of this community, um, but the diversity of all of us as God's people together. Um, so I am going to drop in the chat as uh, this begins, there's just a very brief responsive piece. And uh, as we've done in the past, um, I'll read the parts that uh, are designated leader. And there's just two responses that say people, um, you're more than welcome to unmute yourself if you're comfortable for that. Um, so welcome and let's join together in prayer. <clears throat> Blessed be God, parent, caregiver, child, friend, Holy Spirit of wisdom, multiple identities, yet one person. And, and blessed, blessed be, be their kingdom, kingdom as we look, as to, we the look future, to the future, but most, most importantly, importantly here, here in the moment. moment. The God of the queer, the misfits, the lonely is with you. As she is with you. God of justice, you are intimately acquainted with the ways our human hearts break when we're not fully known and accepted. You also know the peace of what it means to love. May our lives be a reflection of the love that you express within yourself, that we'll come to a place where we can't help but love and to know this love fully for ourselves the people who surround us, and the earth that we inhabit. This love is an extension of who you are, the source of all kindness, which turns love into love, into love, into love. Amen. So this morning, as we share communion together, again, this is a piece by uh, Amy Congdon that... Um, when I read it long ago, uh, I, I marked it because uh, I thought it was just a piece that's uh, so fitting for um, who we are. 
So hear these words as we prepare to share in communion together. And know that uh, here at Central, as we take communion together, um, nothing sacred happens in these elements that we have, the bread and the cup and whatever those are for you. But when we take those elements together, something sacred happens within us as we become the light and hope of the world, um, as we become uh, extensions of God's work in this community and, and in this world. Um, so it's a, a sacrament that we take together, that we participate in with Christians all around the world, um, with all kinds of varying different beliefs, making up this thing that we call uh, the kingdom of God. You were born a blessing, you who are queer, for you are accepted. You were born a blessing, you who feel invisible, for you are seen. You were born a blessing, you who have not felt home in your body, for you belong. This is not a joy that you must wait to experience, for they are a God of the here and now. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they are wrong. Remember that you are a blessing, a perfect vessel of love. Come and find rest in the arms of the one who has named you good. So friends, we gather to celebrate the table to which we have all been invited. It is a table where death becomes life, where darkness becomes light, where heartache becomes hope. At this table, to redeemed is to be queer. This table was turned upside down and inside out for you. It is your table and all, all, all are welcome at this table. This is the gift of love for you, the people of love. Come, feast at the table. Feast at the table prepared for you before you even knew yourself. We have been waiting. God has been waiting. Welcome home. This time I invite you to take the elements, uh, the bread and the cup at your own pace. And as you do that, remember that this love that we speak of um, is something that's only manifest as um, we embody it in our own life and being. Let's pray. Eternal spirit who becomes uniquely incarnate in each one of us in our individual needs. We are filled with gratitude for the ways that you've fed us through communion with one another. We now go bravely into the world with the courage and strength that has always dwelled within to be the incarnation of love to those around us because love is love is love is love now and forever. Amen. All right, thanks, Bob. Um, now is the time for prayer requests, words of thanksgiving. Um, does anybody have something they want to share this morning? You can unmute and raise your voice that way, or you can put it in the chat column and I'll do my best to see it from there. Uh, anybody today?
Um, Aaron, I did want to share something with the community. <clears throat> and I will say one of the things I love about prayers of the people, um, as I think about <clears throat> what prayer means in general um, these days is this way that we get to share in each other's lives and know what's happening um, and be supportive of one another. So I don't know specifically what my request is, um, but I did want to share here with the community some news that Ashley and I um, got recently about Ellie um, as a result of some genetic testing that, um, uh, that we just did for her. And so it's all new. I didn't share it last week. We did find out last week, but it's kind of all been swirling around. Um, anyways, so Ellie has a condition um, and she's, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, just over a year old now. Um, and she's struggled in a lot of ways in general, but uh, she has a condition called uh, 1Q211 syndrome. Um, it's a genetic deletion syndrome. And so it has implications in a lot of areas. Um, some of the health areas that are impacted are things that haven't been a struggle for Ellie, which is really great. Um, and it does come with other kinds of potential components um, that include learning disabilities, um, potentially intellectual disability, and some other, uh, yeah, all kinds of things that's just really new for us. I think Ashley and I are both really thankful that as far as these kinds of conditions go, this particular one is on the um, mild, moderate setting. And from what we've seen so far, she seems to be on the mild aspect of that. Um, yeah, but that's just something I wanted to share with the community and have you guys uh, able to hold with us. Thank you, Bob. Um for sharing that. And uh, I think I speak on everyone's behalf when I say um, our heart and, uh, and our love go out to all of you. Um, uh, I know that you didn't structure that as a prayer request, but is it okay if I, if I pray anyway? Of course, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, let's, I think that's appropriate. Let's, let's, let's pray. Loving God, we hold in our hearts, Bob and Ashley and Ellie at this time. And um, we just pray for this family uh, holistically um, that um, Ellie might receive all the care the, the, and support she needs, both from uh, the medical community um, and obviously also from her family. We pray for strength and wisdom for Bob and Ashley, and we pray for just um, wholeness and, um, and health for, for Ellie. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for, for sharing that with us, Bob. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. We love you guys. Um, yeah. Uh, anybody else this morning? Hey, Aaron, I have a good hey, report to share okay. with everyone this morning. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had brought up that my in-laws were going to go on a cruise, and I was really, really worried about them. Um, and, uh, and they decided not to go. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm very, very happy about that. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think that, uh, I mean, I don't think they could get any of their money back. Like, I think it was just a, a wow. bad situation all around, but I'm really, really happy that they chose to not go, um, because it's been really, really bad on cruise ships. So anyway. I was just very happy about that and wanted to share. So thank you for praying a couple weeks ago for it. 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, little things like that <clears throat> can actually be a big deal, right? Um, when we see family members making hard choices that actually cost them um, in, in favor of their own health and safety and that of others, that's always encouraging. So thank you for, for sharing that, May, and we're all glad to hear that. Um, okay, well, uh, Bob, I'm going to, I guess, turn it back over to you. Perfect. Um, I did want to let you guys know, no specific announcements uh, this morning as we're uh, figuring out what exactly is going on with Omicron. So all of our kind of other events are, are currently on hold right now, but we'll have more information as we get more in the, the coming weeks here. Um, and this morning, I wanted to share with you a, uh, a video as a meditation. And um, this is a music video by an artist called Oliver Arnold. And um, he is a, a composer and mostly does instrumental music, which I fell in love with of his. Um, but this is a piece that he um, wrote together uh, with another artist, um, JFTR. And it's, uh, I've thought about it a lot in the middle of COVID as we talk about um, mourning where we are and yet having a hope for the future um, because this piece is just so beautiful um, but also very realistic about uh, loss uh, in general. Um, anyway, so it was meaningful to me. I, I thought that it may be a, a nice meditation for us to share together. Uh, so I'm going to share my screen here. Okay. There we go. Well, we may have to put this on hold because for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be letting me share this. Okay, let's try that. Sorry, guys. Here we go.
All right. Can you guys hear me? It says my internet connection is unstable. All right, there's a thumbs up. That's what I want to see. I need to switch locations. All right, so today um, I would like to talk about progressive Christianity. What is progressive Christianity? That's kind of the question I want to uh, ask here today. Um, you know, because even though many of us, I think, identify as progressive Christians, myself included, we might not really understand what that means. And, and perhaps there isn't a single all-encompassing definition of what progressive Christianity is, which is a very uh, progressive thing for me to say, right? Um, but, uh, and, and to be clear, this isn't about the need to label everything. Uh, labels are always problematic but they're helpful sometimes too. They can function as a kind of shorthand as long as we don't over rely on them and understand that, that nobody fits perfectly within any one category, right? We're all complicated creatures full of contradictions, especially about abstract and slippery matters like faith and spirituality. And maybe even saying that is part of what it means to be a progressive Christian, realizing that labels like progressive, conservative, believer, unbeliever, uh, no one fits perfectly into any one of these categories, in, in my opinion. And so in that spirit, I want to open things today by asking you, what's your definition of progressive Christianity? Are you a progressive Christian? Do you call yourself that? Why or why not? You know, we usually end with a discussion here, and, and we will again today, but I thought it would be cool to, to open with a uh, a conversation as well, and then I'll share my remarks and we can go back into a, a dialogue at the end if you'd like. But let's open it up for a little bit of a dialogue now. Um, what is progressive Christianity? Are you a progressive Christian? Do you call yourself that? Why or why not? Does anybody want to want to get us started? Hey, I'll start. Hey, um, okay. I mean, I think I would call myself a progressive Christian. I think that I hold the values of the tradition without holding the traditional values. Okay. Um, so I think for me, being a progressive Christian means just um, maybe following Jesus more than following maybe, maybe it's new Testament versus old. Okay. Maybe that's how I'm seeing progressive. Um, but yeah, just, just some thoughts to, to get it started. That's kind of how I view it. That's cool. I like that. Thanks, May. Uh, somebody else want to share? In a similar boat to May. Oh, can you speak, can you speak up? Oh yeah, can you hear me? Sorry, we're yeah, I can hear sharing earbuds. So the speaker. Cool, cool. Give on. me one second. Okay. So that oh, he's gonna switch it so that you can hear me a little better. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can hear you okay. okay. Oh okay. um I think I'm kind of similar because part of my shifting away from evangelicalism has been more specifically about Christian culture right now. Um, another, someone else I follow um, on Instagram said it this week, this way, where he was like, I love the church, 
but I'm having a hard time with Christian culture right now and the way that it is presenting itself. And so I love the church over time and what the church is. And I think that's kind of how I think about this. Like, I love Jesus and I love the church as it, as he intended it to be, but we miss the mark constantly. And I think where our culture is for me is so off the mark um, and particularly issues of white supremacy, Christian nationalism, homophobia, transphobia, sexism. I couldn't continue to belong to, I think I, I put up with a lot for a long time and I just felt like I couldn't do that anymore. So um, I think I'm still, I don't know if I know what my label is right now. That's part of what, where I am, but I would say a lot of my, I love what my said, I wrote it down. I hold the values of the tradition, but I'm really pushing back against what I would say are the American church's traditional values. Um, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Thank you for sharing that. I think we all, most of us resonate with that. Um, somebody else want to share? And, and May, did you say you, you do call yourself a progressive Christian? I'm just curious if you, okay. I'm just curious. You don't, of course you don't have to. <laughs> you have permission from me not to do that. Oh. Thanks boss. I yeah. Oh, oh brother. Um, yeah. Somebody else want to share. Diana's got something. Hey Diana. Hi. Um, so I, 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 yeah, I guess I'm, this is really interesting. I wasn't raised Christian. I was raised Unitarian. I don't know if I've shared that with you guys or not. So I came from a Unitarian Universalist background. And when I, when Emily kind of started sharing her Christian Christianity with me and we found Christian churches and, and started exploring all of that, I kind of jumped in and I was like, yes, this is awesome. Like I love Christianity because I found it really first, almost through like an open and affirming aspect. And I didn't see a lot of the like evangelical crap that I think a lot of you guys have all gone through. I mean, I saw some of that growing up, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge part of my upbringing. Yeah. So it's really been an interesting experience over the last few years as so much more of that has come to light of like the horrible history of Christianity. And I feel like I definitely have taken a step back and been not as vocal and open and wanting to say that I'm a Christian because yeah. it takes on such a different context. Um, so, I mean, I would definitely identify myself as a progressive Christian, but I think it's interesting to try to establish like what that means because right. progressiveness sounds so much like, like whatever the word progressive means in the dictionary. But like, to me, it is going back to following Jesus and being more like Jesus, which to me is, should be traditional, but it's not. Yeah. It's sort of been a catharsis of like, you know, it, it was the traditional stuff. And then it was sort of like, okay, Jesus, but we're still doing the traditional stuff, even though Jesus came to sort of like get rid of the traditional stuff. And now it's, I think today, I, all the Christianity that was terrible came to head in the last four years that we're, we were just like, whoa, is, that's how you feel about that. And um, it was super weird for me to have to, to look at the people that I had loved and looked up to in their Christian walk and then realize that they are the opposite of what I believe a true Christian is, which I think is a Jesus following, you know, striving to be like 
the perfect human that ever lived. And um, that's, I feel like that's our job here. And when they act in, you know, they, they, they pretend to love Jesus, but then they hold you to the traditional, they judge you in the traditional way. So it's very confusing. And I'm hoping that we're all moving into this progressivism, but who knows? <clears throat> yeah, good stuff. Thanks for sharing, Emily and Diana. Diana, can I ask you a question? Of course. She said, of what course. Was it? Of course. <laughs> what was it that you, what was it that you loved about your upbringing? Like in the Unitarian type? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it was the open and accepting aspect of it. I mean, I look, I have a unique upbringing in that yeah. my parents didn't force. <laughs> my dad is Jewish. My mom was, was evangelical, was born again for a while. And then was like very not born again for a while. <laughs> Um, so there was always like Christian sprinkling in my upbringing, but they, they very much wanted us to be raised without, with, with making religion our choice. So they forced, they pushed us to explore different religions. So I I explored pretty much all major religions growing up, but the Unitarian Universalist, the, at least the church that I was a part of, and that aspect of it was so open and welcoming, but also very socially active. And I really appreciated that because they were really, really aware of what was going on in society and did something about it and did something about it. And really, it was really important to be making a change in the world for the better. That's awesome. That is so awesome. I've just never seen it be anybody being like, yay, Christianity. <laughs> I know. I was really curious yeah. why you felt that way. <laughs> well, she was also coming off like from, I had, it was from me, my deconstruction and sort of questioning all those things and realizing what I knew in my heart was real and what I knew wasn't real, which was the, the old stuff and how my parents were sort of judging and, you know, that, that community. And I think that was part of, I was seeking those things out. And so, you know, we found a church with a gay black pastor. And so that was very odd to me, not the black part, but the gay part. Um, And so I think for her, she jumped in towards the end of what I was doing. So that's sort of why it was more like a yay Christianity. And I would also say for me growing up, I always felt like there was just something missing. And to Mm -hmm. me, that was Mm. a, a God, God of some, some sort Um, And I think when we actually, when I started actually exploring Christianity, it was like, I got all of like the good stuff without any of the crap, you know, like it was all of the, just like love and acceptance and, you know, they're the the, doing good and and, and being able to know that there is something more than just this earth. And I don't know. No, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Um, anybody else want to share? I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, yeah. In, in the, so, so I'm, I'm new to Christianity. Um, but one of the things that kept me away from the church for a long time was this idea of conservative Christians. And obviously for, for, for many reasons, but, but the, the main reason is because whenever I hear the word conservative, I don't have a place in that world um, because as a, as a Mexican born immigrant to the United States, I am a field worker in, in a conservative environment. I am a peasant by comparison to the white Christians. Um, 
and I don't belong in a Christian church. So it was very difficult for me to, as a person of color, to be able to come into a church and not feel like I was a second citizen or a second uh, tier citizen in that environment. Um, I think what was helpful with Ashley was that we we started having real deep conversations of 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 who Jesus was, and more importantly, that he was not a white man. Uh, and 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 to go further, was killed by basically the police and and his own uh, leadership and. And it, it helped to see and hear words of love and kindness um, and, and a rebuke of standardized churches uh, from Jesus himself. And I was like, that's, that's amazing, um, but where do I belong? Because it, I am not a conservative because I can't be a conservative. My role in that, in that environment is already as somebody who is considered an other. And so by default, right, if you're not conservative, you're liberal, but I'm not a liberal. And so I think finding the terminology of a progressive makes more sense because I am trying to push an envelope that is different than what is considered norm. So I think like as a brown man, I feel like I, I have to be progressive because that's the only place in which I can feel equal to everyone else in the room if that makes sense. And so as a, as a, a you know, as somebody who is tr attempting to understand and walk in the path of Jesus, it's helpful to read his words without the misinterpretation of white supremacy, which has ruled the conservative Christian right. And so that's, that's where I would fall in that. If that, hopefully that gives some context there for myself. Yeah, wow, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Jesus. Um, what an incredible perspective. Thank you. Um, really, really good stuff, everybody. Um, great way to start this this little convo here today. And I'll get it. And so let me just dive into um, kind of the background or the history of progressive Christianity a little bit. I want to I want to do a little bit of uh, background work today, and then we can continue this conversation. and And hopefully, this will add some understanding. Um, according to the Center for Progressive Christianity, uh, which is which is an organization that has existed for almost 30 years um, and is considered by many to be the organization most responsible for coining the term, coining the term progressive Christian or progressive Christianity back in the 1990s. According to their website, they say this, we were founded in 1994 by Jim Adams, who was at the time rector of St. Mark's Church, which is the pastor, for those of you not familiar with the term rector, rector of St. Mark's Church on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. At that time, there was no known organization, scholar, or church leader publicly using the term progressive Christianity. Uh, Jim Adams' vision was to create a nonprofit organization that encouraged churches to focus their attention on those for whom organized religion had proven to be ineffectual, irrelevant, or repressive. According to Reverend Adams, the goal was to keep churches from, from drying up and blowing away. This was a response to the recently published statistics showing that membership in mainline churches had dramatically declined in the 1980s, the third decade in a row that this had occurred. Based on Adams' experience at St. Mark's Church, he was convinced that if churches would become bolder about professing their progressive tenets, they could thrive. Adams and a small group of peers agreed 
that they needed to provide some ways to, to help open and progressive churches find ways to self-identify as progressive. This was the genesis of the eight points defining progressive Christianity, end quote. What are the eight points, you may ask? Well, here they are, and I'm going to do a little, little screen share here to uh, show you the eight points that this organization came up with that I think pretty much um, um, exemplify what progressive Christianity is. Can you guys see that? Oh, is it, is it, hard, to, is it hard to see, Jesus? Oh. I don't know if I can widen it. I'll read it out loud. By calling ourselves progressive Christians, we mean that we are, we are Christians who believe that following the path and teachings of Jesus can lead to an awareness and experience of the sacred and the oneness and unity of all life. Number two, affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but, what, but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness of life and that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom in our spiritual journey. Number three, seek community that is inclusive of all people, including but not limited to conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, women and men, those of all sexual orientations and gender identities, those of all classes and, abil and abilities. Number four, know that the way we behave towards one another is the fullest expression of what we believe. Number five, find grace in the search for understanding and believe there is more value in questioning than in absolutes. Number six, strive for peace and justice among all people. Number seven, strive to, pr to protect and restore the integrity of our earth. And finally, number eight, commit to a path of lifelong learning, compassion, and selfless love. My guess is most of us um, resonate uh, with, those, with those eight points. Um, and again, those, those are, that, that's basically what progressive Christianity is defined by, you know, the center for progressive Christianity. Um, uh, but to really understand progressive Christianity, I think we need to understand its roots, its historical roots in what's called liberal Christianity. Uh, and they are related, but not quite the same thing, in my opinion. Liberal Christianity developed primarily in the 19th and early 20th century as a reaction to modernity and the enlightenment, meaning it, it took the scientific revolution seriously and believed that reason should trump tradition, science should trump superstition, and that we should think critically about matters of uh, faith and spirituality and read the Bible even with a critical lens. This means that liberal Christianity applied the fields, kind of these uh, new burgeoning scientific fields uh, in the 18th, 19th century, like biblical criticism, philosophy, and anthropology, that they, liberal Christianity was applying these fields to the text itself and sought to understand the, the cultural and historical context, and even the, the psychological context the Bible was written in, and from which uh, Judaism and Christianity developed. In other words, liberal Christianity sought to understand not just Christianity and Judaism, but, but all religions as primarily human and cultural constructs rather than, you know, you know, pure divine revelation that fell out of the heavens one day, right? It sought to understand religion as, as primarily a human construct and a cultural construct that may or may not have anything to do 
with a transcendent being on high. In this way, liberal Christians opened the door for, for many non-traditional understandings of God, one of them being uh, deism. Maybe you've heard of deism before. Deism was a very popular theology that came out of liberal Christianity, especially during the Age of Enlightenment, uh, and, and was the theology actually held by uh, some of our founding, the founding fathers of this of this nation, like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Evangelicals don't like to don't don't like to acknowledge that they were deists. What is deism? You might ask. Deism holds that God is basically uh, an absentee landlord. Uh, God created everything, but doesn't manage anything. He doesn't interfere with history, and or either cannot interfere or chooses not to interfere with history. Deists hold that the miraculous stories in the Bible, um, that the, yeah, basically that the supernatural stories in the Bible are basically folk tales, superstition, and, and or pre-modern understandings of natural processes, things like that. Uh, other theologies came out of liberal Christianity rather than just deism. Uh, agnosticism has been very popular within liberal Christian circles as well. Agnosticism uh, is basically this idea that there is a God. Right? There is a deity, but we don't have any access to he, she, or they. We don't really, you know, we don't really know what God is. That's basically agnosticism. Um, various forms of pantheism have been popular in liberal Christianity as well. Pantheism is this idea that God isn't so much a being, but God is rather the, the being of beings. Um, that, uh, that God is the being of everything. In other words, God is basically the universe or the universe is inside of God. All of, all of these non-traditional theologies cropped up in liberal Christianity over the last 300 years or so, uh, which, which to be clear, are these understandings are actually tied. They're not divorced from history. They're actually tied to earlier understandings of God uh, that we find in the church, even in the Middle Ages and in the ancient world. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, but they really developed and took off during the, the Age of Enlightenment and the modern age as a way of responding to this, this prolific loss of belief in the West, this prolific loss of belief in this kind of transcendent, almighty, you know, anthropomorphic, meaning this, this God on high who kind of looks a lot like us, just a souped up version of us, right? He's sort of like Superman. Uh, a lot of uh, these understandings of God that came out of liberal Christianity are very much a response to that loss of belief. In, in that, that again, that, that kind of antiquated understanding of God that we find in the Bible. Liberal Christianity also sought to harmonize Christianity with all religions, right? And see all religions as just different paths leading to the same place, kind of a Unitarian model uh, or, or leading, you know, that, that all religions lead to the same truths or are basically expressions of, uh, of the same underlying human concerns, the same underlying human desires and fears and, and, and things like that. It's also important to understand that liberal Christianity was as much about a theological shift as it was about a political or, or a social shift, which um, what, what I should say that what often defined liberal Christianity, particularly in the 19th century and even today, is its focus on social justice, right? Uh, in the 19th century, liberal Christians were, were very much a part of the abolition movement. And then they were a part of women's suffrage. And then of course, in the middle of the 20th century, liberal Christianity was very much a part of the civil rights movement. 
this being MLK, right, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, weekend, right, tomorrow is, is, is the day that we remember him most, um, we, sh we should remember that, that Dr. King himself was a liberal Christian. We know from his personal, personal journals and his letters that he didn't believe um, that the story of Jonah and the whale was, was historical or that John the Baptist actually met Jesus. Dr. King once referred to the Bible as, as mythological. He doubted whether Jesus was born of a virgin or, or was somehow actually a divine being sent from heaven. Dr. King was not a biblical literalist. Uh, instead, he saw all the, the, these tedious theological debates around the historicity of, of the Bible's stories to be a distraction from the Bible's true underlying message, which he believed was one of liberation and love and justice. The social gospel was the gospel to Dr. King and, and, most, and most other liberal Christians uh, then and now. Liberal Christianity has always been about liberation and justice and understanding Christianity and scripture through the lens of, of social justice and Jesus's preferential treatment of the poor. It's also important to understand that liberal Christianity took root and became embodied mostly in the mainline Protestant denominations like the Anglicans, the Episcopals, Methodists, Lutherans, um, the Congregationalists, the United Church of Christ, the Disciples of Christ, and, and a few others. Uh, whereas on, on the other hand, conservative Christianity or, or fundamentalism became very much embodied in um, like the Southern Baptist tradition, uh, the Pentecostals, and many of these um, non-denominational churches that have cropped up over the last you know, few generations, particularly here in the United States. Um, and, and, those, and those denominations or those non-denominations um, became very much synonymous with what we call, you know, evangelicalism, which has become sort of a catch-all uh, catch for conservative, uh, conservative Christianity, right? In many ways, evangelicalism actually developed as a reaction against liberal Christianity in the 20th century. Uh, and, and, and evangelicalism functions as an attempt to counteract liberal Christianity's influence on, on the church and culture. Even today, you'll hear, you'll hear evangelicals talk about how they have to save the church from, those, from, from you know, these liberal and progressive Christians who have corrupted the gospel, right, with, with Marxism and socialism and, and critical race theory, uh, right, and, and queer theory, right? And uh, they, evangelicals believe they need to save, save the church from, from those liberal Christians who trust science more than scripture, right? So in many ways, evangelicalism is, is a reaction against liberal Christianity. So that's, that's basically the roots of, of liberal Christianity as I see it. And that's important to understand because what we call progressive Christianity is really rooted in, in that, that longer heritage of what was known back then as just liberal Christianity. In some ways, we're talking, we're basically talking about a name change today in, in to large degree. I think the term liberal uh, has come to be a negative term even on the left. I think even, um, I think as Jesus was, was pointing out, you know, liberal uh, has become problematized as a term uh, even even us progressives see it as problematic, and often liberals, like the neoliberals, are seen as quasi centrists, quasi moderates. Um, you know, sort of uh, you know, fiscally conservative, but maybe a little socially liberal. You know, that's kind of what liberals have come to 
represent today. So I think the difference between liberal Christianity and progressive Christianity is somewhat semantical, but I do think there are some key differences, perhaps the most significant of which is what we call the deconstructive, the, the deconstruction movement. Uh, while liberal Christianity was obviously deconstructive, uh, the term deconstruction, that, that term, uh, didn't really become a buzzword in the church until the late 90s and, and early 2000s, so just like 20 years ago. Uh, and this coincided with what is known as the emergent church movement, which we won't get into here, um, but it warrants a mention. In, in a very real way, the deconstruction movement um, that began 20 years ago, or that became labeled 20 years ago, uh, really changed the face of the American church. Uh, and, and it was driven in large part by the, by the advent of the internet and social media. And, it, and it's really increased the growth of what's known as the nuns and duns, right? Those who are no longer affiliated with any organized religion or those who are just done with church and done with religion entirely, right? So I think progressive Christianity in a lot, it, it is really, is really um, typified by this deconstruction movement that has so rocked the church over the last 20 years. Uh, and, and I think progressive Christianity really identifies more as, as a deconstruction movement, more than liberal Christianity did. Um, but, but progressive Christianity is also somewhat different politically and socially. Progressive Christians have really taken up the cause of LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ inclusion, I think more than liberal Christians did you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Certainly progressive Christianity is focused on other matters of social justice, like racial justice and economic justice. Yes, that's a part of progressive Christianity as well. But I think what really defined, has defined progressive Christianity as a movement is its, its focus on LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ inclusion in the church. Uh, I think deconstruction and LGBTQ issues is really what defined that shift from liberal Christianity to progressive Christianity. In, in, my, in my opinion. Um, and, and progressive Christianity over the last 20 years has really you know, formed as a way of combating and resisting what's been happening on, on the religious right, what's been happening in evangelicalism, um, this, this hard turn to the right that we've seen among evangelicals um, over the last 20 years, and, and particularly over the last, you know, uh, four to six, right, with the, uh, with the advent of Trumpism and MAGA, right, this hard turn to the right and this kind of neo-fascist um, you know, turn in evangelicalism, which is all about conflating um, uh, Christianity with nationalism and this kind of weird nostalgia for this, you know, idyllic past, you know, we got to make America great again, great again right? Um, so I think, I think progressive Christianity is very much a left-wing response in the church to you know, right-wing evangelicalism. So that's basically my understanding of progressive Christianity. It's, it's history, it's roots in, in liberal Christianity um, and kind of what defines, what defines it today. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Um, you know, we've had a great conversation so far, but what are your reactions? What are your thoughts about, about what I've had to say or what others have had to say? so far today. Um, your thoughts about progressive Christianity um, and uh, maybe, may, you know, your identification with it or lack thereof. Anybody?
Um, I can go. I consider I consider myself a progressive Christian for a long time now. Um, but it's there's a few reasons. But one is because Christianity has always been incredibly diverse in its belief um, in its belief systems and inclusion and things like that. And so I think that it's important to not like throw it out completely. Well, for me, I'm okay. I, I don't have to throw it out for my own survival. Um, and so I like to hold on to the term progressive Christian because then I feel like I still get a seat at the table of Christianity to show that it's not a, it's not all the same. It's not all, um, you know, incredibly conservative or exclus- um, exclusive or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think for me, part of it is also um, spite. No one gets to tell me if I'm a Christian or not. That's my decision. And so... Oh because you know that's what people want to do. They like to push out those that are um, that don't align with what they want. And so I think that if if I'm okay holding on, so I'm going to hold on. I like that. Yeah. Thanks, Desiree. Good stuff. Yeah, you reminded me of um, something Slavoj Žižek says, a, a Slovenian philosopher who identifies as a Christian atheist. Uh, people often ask him, "Why do you still call yourself a Christian? Like, what's the point?" He says, uh, because Christianity is too important of an idea to surrender to the fundamentalists. Fuck them, he says. They can't have it. They hijacked it and we're taking it back. Uh, that's kind of the, I, I like that response. Um, anyway, that's, you reminded me of that. Uh, other Wait, thoughts today? Can you put the name of that philosopher in the chat <laughs> so other people can? Uh, yeah, yes, I'll, I'll put his, I'll spell his name in the chat here. It's pronounced Slavoj, but it's, here, I'll spell it out. Um, Slavoj, Slavoj Žižek, a Slovenian philosopher. He's kind of like, a, he's very popular. He's a, he's on the left, but he he identifies as a Christian atheist, and he's been very influential on, on a stream of Christian thought called radical theology, which I'm very much a part of. Um, he's brilliant. He's got a lot of great videos on YouTube. He's a little, he's got some like weird nervous tics. Um, it's a little hard to understand sometimes, but he's absolutely brilliant so okay there i just put his name in the chat um you can find him all over the internets um yeah great stuff uh diana yeah i think this was really helpful um especially because just having not not that necessarily we all who believe these things have to call ourselves progressive christians but it's a start i feel like to unify because I think there is such um, like you kind of feel like you're existing in this bubble or, or in this vacuum a little bit when you because the evangelical Christians and the conservative Christians are so even if there's not a lot of them, they are so vocal and you see them all out there all over the place. So you kind of start to feel like, OK, well, I still believe, you know, these Christian things, but can I, am I a Christian if I don't believe that? So I think it's very helpful knowing that there is this progressive Christian um, movement or whatever that to at least start to unify those of us that have more of those beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I, I, I think having that sense of uh, community and solidarity uh, is so important. And frankly, what religion is really supposed to be about it's supposed to be about, it's supposed to be about community <laughs> you know and um, yeah I think it's wonderful that we can unite around that and having labels and terms even though they can be cumbersome and somewhat unhelpful sometimes they still are helpful in my opinion yeah 
Good stuff. Other thoughts today? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, so for me, I, in terms of what, um, how I identify myself personally as a, what type of Christian, I know that I identify myself. I was born Christian Orthodox. I think I still, uh, label myself as such, despite not embracing all the... Say that again. Hey, Andre, oh, say that again. You, ident you, you identify yourself as what? Sorry. As, oh, sorry. I was born Christian Orthodox and ah. I... Uh, I, 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 um, I was born Christian Orthodox. I identify myself as uh, such still, despite not embracing all the official positions of the Christian Orthodox Church. And I think on, uh, I still have a long road ahead of me in terms of like defining my Christian identity. I don't know yet how, I know which values I stand for, but I don't know what's the appropriate label. And because I also feel like I should start from the values first, and in terms of like how we define Christianity, I don't have all that much to contribute to this discussion in terms of like the, the identity pursuing itself because I have such a long way to go personally, but uh, I have gone into arguments with people over the empathy because I feel like empathy needs to be present in whatever Christian belief we have. I feel like it needs to be intrinsic. And whenever I would see people not, you know, actively take Christians, Christian Orthodoxes, whom I judge taking pride into not, not, uh, um, not practicing empathy towards the people around them just because they don't know them, they're different, they, whatever, whatever it is, I would speak up in that way and say that I don't feel like that is Christian, much to people's dismay. But my only contribution, my, and, you know, with, you know, the discussion going the other way, oh, you're not Christian because you are not hateful enough in this way. That's like, okay. I think um, I, the only thing that, the only value that I think I, one of the values that needs to be intrinsic into any definition of like Christianity that I would personally want to pursue is empathy and love, which should be at the core of the, the main pillar of Christianity. I know I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here. I'm not saying <laughs> anything, but that's uh, that's my no, position so far. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, that's it. I mean, honestly, if you're going to sum up Christianity in one word, I frankly would empathy is a great word. Um, you know, love love is is a is a good word too. But love often comes with a lot of like ambiguity. Empathy is a little more clear, I think. Um, and it's interesting how, you know, that word empathy has been so weaponized um, specifically by evangelicals as a, as a way of criticizing progressives like, oh, you think that faith is really all about empathy? No, it's about following the Bible and about, you know, and it's, just, it's astonishing how, how many conservatives and evangelicals see that, that focus on empathy as a weakness, as something that um, is problematic. Like, how could we focus on empathy and not the book of Leviticus instead? I mean, it's a, it's a little, you know, but that's, th those highlight key differences between, you know, conservative and progressive Christianity. So thank you, Andre. I think that's really good. Also, when Jesus was on the cross, he was literally praying for the people killing him. Yes, like, yes. How, like, and that is one of the most pivotal moments in all of Christianity that maybe is the most pivotal moment. 
Yeah. Um, so the, I, it's always, it's always really uh, unsettling a little bit to me hearing this. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I kind of piggyback on that as well, because I feel like the traditional slash evangelical um, slash conservative Christian Christianity is all built on and continues to to be on sexism, misogyny, judgment, um, you know, hierarchy. Um, It's just those were all the things that I was like, wait, what, you know, I'm so everyone who doesn't believe what I believe is going to hell. That makes no sense. Um, you know, even my mother says that Jews will come to know Jesus and at at some point, and that is what will save them. It's not that it says in the Bible, you know, or they're, that they're the chosen people. And, but I think the progressivism is, I mean, it, it, it is what that Jesus literally changed all of those things on purpose. And when you talked about the deism, I thought that was interesting because they said that the God, that God doesn't interfere with history as it is today. Um, except history is exactly like it was in Bible times. There are still slaves there are still uh women are still lesser than children are still lesser than you know it's it's all still built on all of those things that were then and so mm-hmm. and god was okay with that then so why would he intervene on that now and god wasn't really known for being like a you know an empathetic god he was known for being a vengeful god and he was an angry god and you needed to fear him um and if you didn't do exactly what he said he was coming after you and all of your generations. So it's like the, that never sat well with me, but you know, if that was the time that it happened, then um, that's why it was like the Jesus came along and I was like, Oh, well, this makes a lot more sense because he's, he is empathetic. He is someone who doesn't uh, subscribe to the sexism and the you know, it was like somebody brought up the, what Jesus's words. And it made me think like the red letter Christians, you know, the, the Christians who only look at what Jesus actually said. Um, and they, and it, 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 it is completely opposite of what the traditional Christian belief is. Um, and it made me want to, and maybe I'll put it out there. I kind of want to go, I kind of want to read a book that is just Jesus's life, like from birth to death. I'd like to, from his perspective, not from our perspective of him being in, which is the Bible is our perspective living with Jesus, but what not. And of course he didn't write a book, so it's not going to be <laughs> like it, but you know, his life yeah, and just pointing to the things that only relate to him and, and the, and the works that he did. I'd like to just have that rather than all the other crap that there is, you know? Uh, Well, you know, what you're talking about is the quest for the historical Jesus. And there's been lots of work done on that. Some good, not some, you know, some not so good. And, and, you know, frankly, in my opinion, over my experience reading that stuff is um, there is no, there is no apprehension of an actual 
historical Christ. In, in other words, there is no perfect, you know, distillation of his life and deeds devoid of all of the legend, legend and uh-huh. mythology. Uh, there, there is no pure access to that. And in some ways, that's a good thing, because I, I think ultimately what we do have in the text, you know, Jesus couched within you know, a particular story. And I think Jesus of Nazareth was a historical person. I think most most scholars, I think, believe he probably was. But but the fact that he comes couched in a particular narrative with a particular like mythological framework or legend, you know, we shouldn't see that as, unfortunately, I think we've been taught through modernity that that's a bad thing. We need to somehow strip, strip Jesus out of that. When I think actually it's a wonderful thing that he comes to us like that, because I think that shows us how the original audience his contemporaries saw him and, and how, you know, they, they understood the power of his life and his message and his teachings or his, his example and his death and the meaning of his death to them, um, his sacrifice, um, his willingness to lay his life down for the cause of justice. I, I think those, those miracle stories and the so-called legendary aspects are actually integral to the historical Christ. Does that, does that make sense? Even though um, we, we, most of us probably read them as ahistorical, I think that they are actually very much an important part of um, his historical significance, if that makes sense. Um, what no, you I mean, that's, that's what yeah. I want. I just want the stories without the in-betweens. You know okay, what I mean? Sure, like his sure, direct sure. Um, interaction with people or persons um, throughout the yeah. New Testament. Yeah, we don't really have a good record of that. What we have, the best the best records are basically the Gospels. And, right. you know, and, and those have, you know, in some in some ways have been reliably passed down to us from the third century, um, about their, uh, you know, third or fourth century. And, and they're incredible, you know, testaments, I think, to the witness of the early church. But again, it comes couched in story and narrative right. and legend and myth and all those wonderful things that I think we should hold dearly uh, without, you know, throwing our brains out the windows, if that, right. if that makes sense. So yeah. um, that's my take on it. The, in my opinion, Emily, there is no apprehension of, of, of the historical Christ. There, there is no biography that was, that can be written, uh, you know, uh, that doesn't, you know, because frankly, you know, as you put it, Jesus didn't write an autobiography. Right. People back then didn't think in those terms. Those were modern categories. Autobiography, right. that's really a modern category, right. um, a modern genre. So anyway, um, good stuff. Got a few minutes left. Yay, Lakin, I see, I see that hand. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to jump in. Um, a couple of people have kind of um, touched on this a little bit. You touched on it um, with MLK, but um, I was just thinking like, and I think we've probably had a little bit of this conversation before that um, progressivism and deconstruction um, in my experience looks a lot different for black people specifically in America than it does for other groups. Um, yeah. I, I say this only with like, my personal experience and the people that I know, I'm not saying that this is the general um, experience for all black people, but um, you know, it's interesting because like, even at the beginning when you're asking people like how they identify and what things they push away from in terms of like being um, a, a progressive Christian, um, a lot of those things have, have been things that people in black churches have been 
pressing against for as long as I know, you know what I mean? Like from, from my life and my parents' life and my grandparents' life. So, so it's, uh, my, my experience with progressivism in Christianity, um, it was almost like, that was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we already know about like racial injustice, like, you know what I mean? It was like more, um, I feel like for, for me, it was more like the patriarchy and LGBTQ and trans, you know, just like very specific like plights um, other than the, the political, I know those are also political, but um, you know, the largely racial classism, like those kind of things, because like going, like growing up mostly like in a black church, like that was just like the basic level of Christianity. Like we just, we just went to church knowing in our minds, like Christianity was those things. It was like caring for the poor. It, it was always tied to the treatment of, yeah. you know, black people in America. So I just found that interesting. It's just a note that um, I don't know that I would still call myself um, purely a progressive Christian. I'm still trying to figure out like what the label is, but um, you know, like a, a lot of people here, I think I just kind of focus on like, what Jesus stood for and what he did. And I feel like that is, um, for me, there's no question that it's tied to racial justice and, you know, rich and poor, the justice between that and environmental justice. Like it's just sure. for me tied into, to, into those things. And maybe that is because of my basis of like growing up in a black church. So that's just a thought. Well, that, uh, that's interesting. So you're saying, if I hear you correctly, <clears throat> that even within like conservative black churches, so-called conservative black churches, there was a focus on racial justice and economic justice and, and that kind of thing, which we white, you know, conservatives see as like liberal Christianity, but in black churches, that was like part of like the general so-called conservative religious structure. And that progressive Christianity for you has been more about LGBTQ rights. Is, is that how I'm hearing that's, it? That's pretty much exactly it. Yeah. Okay. Like I okay. would say that I still know, like, when I go to my parents' church, like it, they're good people, you know, like, like a lot of us, right? Like we go to our parents' churches and it's more fundamental in some ways. And you're like, some stuff is kind of cringy, but I will say like most, uh, again, this is my experience in the people that I know, like the black people I know that are still consider themselves Christian. It's like a lot of the change in our lifetimes is with, you know, um, the LGBTQ thing. Um, even I, I would say even not as much like the patriarchy, because even the church that I grew up in, you know, they have male and female pat like it, they don't, they don't say like women can't teach for instance, right. you know, like they did in some of the other evangelical white churches that I went to later in my life. So I, yeah, I just find it interesting that like a lot of the things that you're talking about is like, um, or uh, people have talked about as their experience and what, it means to be progressive is like what it's always been to me because yeah. that's what they focus on. Yeah. And it makes sense because it's like, you know, going back to slavery, like you took, you literally took people and stripped them of all their religion and culture and everything. So they had to take the white man's Christianity and they had to make it about like them. You know what I mean? Like there's so many hymns about like um, to, I think it was Jesus maybe who said it, but you know, yeah like Jesus wasn't a white man, you know what I mean? So they, they clung on to like those aspects of Christianity that they could relate to, you know, Moses bringing people out of the slavery. So it's like, those things have always been to me, um, just connected. Whereas I think maybe for a lot of like 
white Christians, especially ones that are deconstructing, um, they, they think of that maybe as more like a new thing to them. And to me, it's like, that's just always been like the thing. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. And I, I really think that progressive Christianity, as I said in my talk, is typified by those two issues you, you raise, meaning LGBTQ rights and specifically deconstruction, like those particular elements, I think, are endemically like, or what's defining so-called progressive Christianity. Yeah, that's really good stuff. Thank you, Lakin. Um, all right. Anybody else have something you want to say? I have something that cannot be discussed further today because it just sparked a sort of thought for me. Um, So if Black people and Christians, Black Christians are are sort of, for lack of a better, you know, whatever, they're further along in the progressivism, let's say, than white people that sort of changes the realities. And we know that black people and white people in this country and around the world have different realities. Um, Are we saying that each person's reality is true? Are we saying that because I sort of feel like it's a farce from the white people's perspective because we've been sort of living a different reality than And it's because what we've been told, I mean, we've all grown up, uh, you know, in our realities and the white people's reality went a certain way and black people's reality went a certain way, but it was all sort of constructed. So where are we in in terms of reality? Like if black people are further along in progressivism because they, their experiences were different, how do we I don't know, like, like, how do we come together in that to sort of forge forward to make changes that are tangible today in our lifetime? Okay, wow, well, that's a really good I know, (laughs) sorry. That's a really tough one, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I think as far as competing realities go, I think it's always important to keep in mind um, the human toll and, and you know, how people's well-being is actually being affected by other definitions of reality. If one's definition of reality means dehumanizing somebody else and stripping them of their right to be or, you know, or their own personal well-being and, and flourish, their ability to flourish, I think that, you know, that's, that's a reality that needs to die. Does that make sense? Or that is a reality that needs to change. Um, so, you know, if, if by reality, we mean, you know, oppressive ideas that harm others, then those realities need to be judged and, and subjugated or, or, or done away with is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. That's, that's my initial quick take. I think but, that, that needs to be thrown into the definition of progressivism in, for me. Okay. Yeah. All right. I hear is that. Being willing to be open to the deconstruction of not dehumanizing yeah others yeah for the purpose of your comfort of reality there you go even what you've known forever i mean that yeah i think i i see exactly what you're saying and i agree with that yeah i think that's good let's um i just want to conclude today i'm going to put this in the chat um chat column this is somebody mentioned earlier like the eight points from that progressive center for progressive christianity the eight points sounded like a creed well uh, it kind of does, um, but this is actually a creed that Dorothy Soleil, who was a German liberation theologian in the 20th century, came up with that I thought was actually really good. She died in 2003, 
as an old woman. Um, she lived through like World War II and was brilliant. She was a Christian mystic. Um, anyway, this is sort of, this was the creed she came up with. And I'm not saying we all have to adopt this. We don't have a creed here. Um, you know, but this I thought was really good. And I want to just conclude with this and we'll dismiss. Um, again, it's in the chat column if you want to follow along. And I'll do my best to scroll here. Um, it says, I believe in God who created the world, not ready-made like a thing that must forever stay the same. And I'm losing my scroll. There we are. Like a thing that must forever stay what it is, who does not govern according to eternal laws that have perpetually have perpetual validity, nor according to natural orders of poor and rich experts and ignoramuses, people who dominate and people subjected. I believe in God who desires the counter argument of the living and the alteration of every condition through our work, through our politics. I believe in Jesus Christ who was right when he, as an individual who can't do anything, just like us, worked to alter every condition and came to grief in so doing. Looking to him, I discern how our intelligence is crippled, our imagination suffocates, and our exertion is in vain, because we do not live as he did. Every day I am afraid that he died for nothing, because he is buried in our churches because we have betrayed his revolution in our obedience to, to and fear of the authorities. I believe in Jesus Christ who is resurrected in us. And I'm trying to scroll. <laughs> Hang on a second. Does somebody have it in front of them? Want to finish it? got the whole thing in the chat oh okay that's the problem then yeah 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 all right well i've got it right here uh, i believe in jesus christ who is resurrected into our life so that we shall be free from prejudice and presumptuousness from fear and hate and push his revolution onward and toward his reign i believe in the spirit who came into the world with jesus in the communion of all peoples and our responsibility for what will become of our earth a valley of tears, hunger, and violence, or the city of God. I believe in the just peace that can be created, in the possibility of meaningful life for all humankind, in the future of this world of God. Amen. I thought that was a really, um, really interesting creed that she came up and sort of, a, you could say it's a creed of progressive Christianity, really. Dorothy Soleil is her name, and you can find that. Um, you can find that online. You can just Google it. I didn't, the cut and paste didn't work so well for me. Oh, life as a virtual church on Zoom. Isn't it fun? Uh, well, anyway, everybody, uh, we went a little bit over today. Great conversation. We are concluded now. Uh, if you want to hang out and chat, please do so. But uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you here next time. Go in peace. I just dropped the uh, creed. Oh, I see that. Yes, anybody's interested. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to say, Emily, if you uh, are not familiar with the podcast Behind the Bastards, behind, a, what's it called? Behind the Bastards. Behind the Bastards. Yeah. It's one of our favorite podcasts. It just goes through like historical accounts of the worst people in history. They do an entire three parter on the Falwells and how they just took conservative Christianity and like just demolished it with Christian nationalism in the 80s. And so, um, I think 
they do a really good job too in talking about how the Falwells really demarcated like how evangelical Christianity was going to exclude black people. Like a lot of the decisions the Falwells made were to exclude black people. And um, even like they backed Reagan at the time versus Carter, who was like a very faithful Christian and Reagan was like an atheist. So it's just this really interesting like conversation about how the Falwells desire for power and the Falwells desire for this like political religious institution um, have kind of led us to where we are now. But I think because there's like so much tied in with race there, it kind of speaks to the conversation we were having earlier. Yeah, well, Carter wanted to integrate, force uh, private schools, Christian private schools in the South mm-hmm. to integrate. And yeah. they didn't want to do that because mm-hmm. they were racist. And so my understanding is that they that the Falwells found an issue that they could make Christians you know, conservative Christians gather around. They couldn't, they couldn't say vote for Reagan because he's not going to make your schools integrate. They found abortion and exactly. made abortion the issue. Exactly. And that worked. And that's, that's, I've heard that before. That's really interesting, Ashley. So behind the bastards, um, they yeah. did, you say it's a three-part series on the Falwells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have, that's great. I mean, they have, uh, well, like 400 episodes <laughs> at this point on all kinds of different topics. Currently I'm listening to, uh, Hitler's drug use. Wow. Okay, um, this is awesome. I gotta, I gotta check out this like, podcast. There's like an eight-part series on like the history of policing in the United States. Mm. There's a couple-part series on like the Nessera cult and how that led into QAnon. Wow. There's all kinds of different things from across history. Oh, um, the guy who invented like fitness culture in the U.S., who by the way was a fascist and was like friends with Mussolini and believed in like. Um, the Uberman. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. So there's, like, Ubermensch, a lot. Yeah. there's a lot of great. Uh, Uber, Ubermensch, I guess. Um, but yeah, and, and the just, just I know it's called Behind the Bastards, so people are like, ooh. Uh, he's actually an investigative Not journalist. Here. Yeah. <laughs> he's an investigative journalist who has gone into like the, the Iraqi war zones and has actually been uh, d- documented some genocides that have happened. So he's actually like, like this guy, he knows, what he knows what he's doing and he like writes these amazing, like, Again, three-parter episodes because he's like, I was trying to do a small episode by, but I ended up with three thousand words of of what this one incident was. You know what happened behind. And the Falwells is a great example of like, yeah. let's explain what was going on with Christianity before the Falwells. What happens with the Falwells and what shifts that perspective, and then what's going on with the Falwells now. And it's like this, you're just, you're, you're, you're gripping your ears the entire time going, oh, this is awful yeah. because yeah. we know where we are presently. Yeah. And he's explaining like, this is, this is the turn. This is where it happened. Um, so it's really, really interesting. Oh, there's some satanic panic episodes too. Yes. Panic. I remember that. I'm 45. I remember the satanic panic in the eighties. I, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So really wow. nice. He's also humorous too, very irreverent. So it's like as heavy as the topics are. That's what we like listen to while we're cleaning, honestly. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, anyway. Perfect. Well, I'm going to check that out. And don't be surprised if you find some material worked into my talks, because that sounds like great, great stuff to use here. Um, thank you. That's really awesome. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Jesus. Um, yeah, the Falwells are responsible for a lot. Um, a lot of people don't know that, um, the current situation. 
And um, it's interesting to see what's happened, the the arc of their their career as a family or their, you know, with Liberty University and all that. But anyway, great stuff. All right, everybody. Um, much love to all of you. Have a great week. And we shall speak again soon. Thank you.